Good morning. Good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class is dedicated today in loving memory of Jacob's father, Shaul Eni. Alava Shalom Liyuni Nishmat Shaul Victoria. Sponsored by Raquel and Jacob Eni and family. Breakfast in the Class is also dedicated for the Refuash Lema of Yitzhak Ben Yehudit, sponsored by Tammy and Michael Abdan. As well, Breakfast in the Class is dedicated in celebration of the engagement of Isaac Syed, son of Samuel Alava Shalom, and Rochelle to Esther Hadid. Sponsored by Ricky and James Added, Mazatov, Simantov, Mabruk. Week of Cobra was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. We'd like to welcome all the people from uh, all around the world. Uh, very special people. We have Emmanuel here with us from all the way from London. Some good friends from back in the day. We have a longtime listener, first time attender in Adam over here. Adam has joined us. Uh, today as well. It's wonderful when people who listen for a long time uh, have the zechut of joining us in person. Uh, it brings us great joy. Okay, last but not least, if I could ask everyone, today we had some, some good news over the yesterday. We need to pray and double down on our efforts on, uh, in, in the merit of Yaakov Yisrael Ben Tamar Malka. Yesterday we ran a campaign asking people to forgive, to forgive somebody that did them wrong, that got them upset. It's a big zechut when someone brings mechila, they forgive them with all of their heart. And we ask them people to send a letter to their mother, a text to the mother saying, I forgive. And over a, I'm aware of over 100 people, of fights of over 12 years, unbelievable uh, situations that were done. And last night, my friends, when they came to the, to the hospital room, the nurse asked, what's going on? I hear the phones buzz, I hear everything's going on. They explained to her, you know, we did the prayers, we did the challah. She said, the prayers I heard about, the challah I heard about, I never heard that people ask each other for forgiveness. It's a very hard thing to do. She was very emotional, she was very overcome. She left the room for a few minutes and this non-Jewish nurse comes back in the room and she tells the parents of this child, I just ended a long fight that I had with someone in the merit that your child should become better. What a kiddush Hashem. Today we're asking people, and we saw an improvement in the numbers last night for the first time uh, since, uh, since things took the turn, downward turn. We should be zocheh be'ezrat Hashem that our deeds, our ma'asim tovim, our tefilot are heard in the heavens. And today we're asking people, at least one time today when you go to the bathroom, to say the berachav asher yatsar with kavanah. It's a big segula for refuah to thank Hashem when the body works properly. So if you don't know how to make the beracha, message us, we'll send you the prayer of Hashem Yatzar and you should be able uh, to do so in your, own, uh, in your own time today. At least once, if you could do that, we'd be very appreciative. My friends, there's a, there's a concept in the Gemara called simuchin. Who knows what simuchin means? Doresh simuchin. Excellent. Our resident Talmud Chacham, Mark, is telling us that simuchin means when two verses are next to one another, we doresh, we learn out, we, uh, we find some message in the fact that those two things were put next to one another. So I saw in the Sefer Apirion Shalom, he asked a question. He says, what is the connection between the end of last week's parasha and the beginning of this week. Last week, what's the last thing we read about? We read about the fact that in the aftermath of Moshe Rabbeinu going up to Shamayim, begging God for mercy on the Jewish people, Moshe Rabbeinu comes down and his face 
is shining. It's shining with so much light, you can't look at him. So he needs to cover his face, and the only time he uncovers his face is either when he's speaking to God, or when he's speaking to the Jewish people, and he's teaching them, or telling them what God commanded them to do. That's the end of last week's parasha. And we begin this week's parasha, and it starts and it says, Vayakel Moshe, and Moshe gathered at Kuadat Ben Israel all the people of the Jewish people, and he explains to them, he teaches them, this is what Hashem commanded you to do, and he tells them the laws of the Mishkan, etc., uh, etc. Et so he asks, what is the connection between that which we read last week and that which we read this week? And he brings an amazing idea, and I've shared a part of it um, uh, before with some of you. He says as follows. He asks, what is it that made Moshe Rabbeinu's face shine? The Midrash tells us that God took the remaining ink, the dio, that was left over after he wrote the Torah, there was some leftover ink in the, in the quill. How much ink already does a quill hold? A very small amount. There was leftovers. How much could the leftovers be? Drop. God took the ink, the dio of the Sefer Torah, he put it on Moshe's face, and Moshe's face was shining. A remarkable concept. You know, we are, we are familiar with this idea. We say, Kiner mitzvah, that a mitzvah is compared to a candle, the Torah, or, and Torah is light. The, the, the ink of the Torah, even a drop of it, placed on Moshe's face, caused his face to have this otherworldly shine. So, the question that all the commentators ask is, what is this concept? Where did this extra ink come from? Why was there extra ink? You know, you have a regular sofer, you imagine he's writing, he has no idea how much ink it's going to take. But for God, you imagine his ways are perfect. You imagine that God has a 0% carbon footprint. There's no leftovers. You know, God doesn't have some extra chalent in his refrigerator after Shabbat's over. He makes exactly enough. Down to the last bean, there's not one kibbeh hamda left over, or lahamajin, in Hashem's godly refrigerator. What are you talking about? Chalas, he's perfect. So why is there any extra uh, ink in the, in the dio, in the kulmus, in the, uh, in the quill of Borei Olam? And the commentators bring uh, different ideas. But I'd like to share with you one of them. We know that there's two times that Moshe Rabbeinu asked, that God minimize on his behalf. One place is that God, he asked God to write, instead of Vayikra, he asked God to write Vayiker, which means not that God called me, but that God happened upon me. It would be illustrating perhaps that Moshe Rabbeinu was not called by God in a way of affection, but rather it happened to be that God chose him as a prophet, and God said something to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe was trying to downplay his own greatness. So we find one time when Moshe asked for a letter to be written, uh, to be struck from the record. God says, no, I'm not taking out the Aleph. So Moshe asks for the Aleph that was going to be written a little bit smaller, which means that there's a little bit more ink than there should have been. Not because God miscalculated, but because the free will of Moshe asked for such a occurrence to be the case. There's one other example as well, 
when God wrote about Moshe, that Moshe was anav mikol adam. The word anav is written in the Torah, ayin, nun, vav. Moshe asked, please, could you not write it with a yod? You want to write the word anav, fine, but don't write it with the letter yod. Take out that extra drop. Why did Moshe ask that he should take out the extra drop of the anav? The Aperion Shalomor writes something unbelievable. And I think this bit I've shared with you before, but it is where I'd like to go with this that I think is quite interesting. You have, you have the answer, Emmanuel? No. I thought he got the answer. No, I'm <clears throat> if you get the answer, your face shines. Okay, ready for this? The answer is he says something unbelievable. He says that Moshe, look at the Simuchin. When you see that Moshe's face was shining, what's written right after that? Vayakel Moshe et Israel. Moshe gathered all the people together to speak to them. There was another prophet. His name was Shimuel. He came from Ramataim. He came from the area outside of Jerusalem. He was the great prophet that was compared to Moshe Aaron. Moshe Aaron bechohanav. So you see that Moshe is compared to Shemuel. What did Shemuel do? He would pack his bags and he would go from city to city all around the Jewish people judging the people. So Moshe said, you want to call me Anav? I get all the Jewish people, they come to me. But there's a person in the future, there's a prophet that's going to come who's actually going to go take the word of God and go to the people. He's obviously a bigger Anav than I am. So therefore, please do not write the word anav with a yud. Do not write vayikra maybe with an aleph. I'm not as big of a prophet, I'm not as big an anav as I could be. From the extra dio, God put on Moshe's face. And that became uh, the way his face shone. Because the recognition of the fact that one is not as humble, is not as big as one is, is in and of itself the greatest form of greatness in the world because it allows a person to be able to correct their mistakes and to grow. So number one, we learn from Moshe the importance of recognizing greatness that you do not have that resides in someone else. But my friends, I want to take this a little bit further because if that's the case, we realize why the Pesukim are connected. We read directly that Moshe's face is shining why? Vayakel. Because he gathered. Because he gathered and he noticed the difference between him and Shmuel who didn't gather the people to him, who went to them. Therefore, his face was shining. That's why they're together. My friends, I want to add to this. There's a rebellion where Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership is challenged. Who's the challenger of Moshe Rabbeinu's leadership? His name is Korach. Look carefully at the words that it says in Parashat Korach. The Pasuk says about Korach, Vayikahalu et kol adat Yisrael. He gathered all the Jews against Moshe. Two times, Vayakel et kol adat Yisrael. It says he gathered the Jews in front of Moshe. What was Korach doing? The Pasuk says something remarkable about Korach. It says, he was so wise. What did he see that made him do this silly thing? And it says that Korach was a prophet. And Korach saw in his prophecy 
that who's going to come from him? Shemuel. And since Shemuel is compared to Moshe, therefore Korach thought, you know what? I could lead a rebellion. No. Hold on. This idea is much deeper than that idea that you've heard your whole life. Korach says, this is my poker card. This is my joker card with which I'm going to defeat Moshe. Why? Because Moshe Rabbeinu is somebody whose greatest attribute is his humility. But if someone comes from me, whose name is Shemuel, who does not gather the people, so let me point out the area in which my descendant Shemuel is greater than Moshe. And through that I'll be able to defeat him. So what does he do? Korach draws attention to Moshe's deficiency, so to speak, by gathering the Jews to Moshe. But my friends, it's remarkable. When does the tide turn? When does Moshe start winning the war against Korach? Fascinating. The Pasuk says that he calls Datan and Aviram to come and they refuse to come and the Pasuk says, Vayakom, Moshe gets up, Vayelech el Datan Aviram. He went to those Rishaim. He went to their tents. And in that minute, the rebellion was over. Because the only thing that Korach had through Shemuel over Moshe was the fact that Korach went to the people, that Shemuel went to the people. When Moshe Rabenu adopted that Midah himself, even though they were Rishayim, even though they didn't deserve it, Moshe went to them automatically. In that second, everything was done. And Moshe Rabenu is capable of asking for a miracle that had never occurred before, that the earth should open its mouth and swallow the troublemakers up and end this crazy rebellion that threatened to undermine the very veracity and authenticity of Judaism itself. My friends, I want to share with you something that I think is very, very powerful. Because it is not just the Moshe versus Shemuel story. It's not just the Anivud story that lights up Moshe's face. There's something even more powerful here. And that is the question, what is it that makes Moshe Rabbeinu's face shine? What is it that makes uh, the Dior, the ink of God's uh, words, of God's Torah, bring light? And the answer, my friends, is something very, very powerful. Why did Moshe's face shine? We understand here that it's connected to Anivut. We understand this idea of the letter, but there's something much deeper here. Moshe's light was not his own. Moshe's light was the light of God. For indeed, inside each and every person resides a neshama, as we say, as we are taught, which is chelek eloka mima'al. It is a portion of God on high. Moshe Rabenu, in a certain sense, is no different than you and me. The only thing is, that the light of God is obfuscated, it's covered over by the many layers of self that we bring to the game. We make things about us, we have a certain arrogance and a haughtiness about us that does not allow the element of godliness inside of us to shine. And because that is the case, it's completely covered over. 
How do I know this to be the case? Our rabbis tell us that actually these karnehod, these this light that Moshe Rabbeinu had, actually all of the Jewish people had it. They just had it at Har Sinai and lost it in the Egel. But everybody had these karnehod, says the Midrash. Wild. That means that you and I are vessels full of God's light, full of bringing light to the world. This is what it means when it says that the Jewish people are supposed to be or lagoim. It doesn't mean that we go light candles. It doesn't mean that we're arsonists, that we're pyromaniacs. It means that we, hope for a second hopefully, stop thinking and focusing only on our own selfish desires. And through that, we broadcast the light of God the light of Torah, which is God's wisdom, to the world. My friends, I love pointing this out. Although Moshe Rabbeinu's face shone all the time, 100%, you and I, we have all seen moments in our lives <clears throat> where somebody has a ray of light breakthrough, where you see karan panav or, where the person was shining. A person does something, you look at this person, you're thinking, who does that? That's a moment where God's light broke through the shigra, the day-to-day, -day, the grind, the anger, the passion, the pettiness, the jealousy. And suddenly the person did something which indicates their connection with God. And I've thought to myself over the last few days, I've thought back to the many instances in my life when I've witnessed people Rabbis of great, of great courage, uh, of, 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 of great selflessness, do something that illustrates and that shows that magnificent light. But that light does not only belong to rabbis. It belongs to everybody. Everyone has access to it. Even a child has access to this light. When a child does something that's so selfish, Selfless, it makes you want to cry. That child is tapping into that inner goodness that is not yet tainted. I shared a story last Shabbat that has been going around. And I think that this is one example of Karan Panav Or, that his face was shining with the light of God. And it only happens when a person is willing to be Anav enough to not be able to obfuscate. I'll give you just one last example. There was a great rabbi who had a student, and his student was poor. They say the story about the Baal Shem Tov, but I've heard it also about others. The student was very poor, and he always helped those that were poorer than he. Suddenly, one thing led to another. He had biracha in his life, and he became a very wealthy man. And the rabbi hears that the fellow, he no longer invites poor people home. He never invites anyone home, doesn't take care of anyone. They keep them at the door. The rabbi knocks at the door. They say, who's there? He says, it's me. They, the guy hears his rabbi is there. Open the door. Rabbi comes in, walking around the apartment. He comes to the window. There's a window overlooking the shuk. He goes to the window. He looks out the window. He calls the man. He says, what's going on over here? He says, look, it's very hard. And I could see all the people. How can I look through the wall? Mechila. Mechila. Sorry. Uh, pick up the, the tefillin can't be on the floor. Sorry. Yeah? He says, how can I look at all the people? The guy says, what do you mean? It's glass. You can look through glass. It's a special thing that you can look through. You see the people. The Baal Shem Tov says, ah, wow, beautiful. What will they think of next? 
But then he says, what about over there? He points across the room is another piece of glass. And then he says, how come over there you can't see the people outside? There you see yourself. He says, Rabbi, thinks the Rabbi is Majnun. He says, Rabbi, that's a glass. That's a mirror. He says, is the mirror not made of glass? He says, no, no, it's also made of glass. But behind the mirror, they just put a little silver film. And when you look at the mirror, at the mirror, at the glass, the silver, you see yourself. He goes, ah, so when you add just a little bit of silver, then the only person you could see is yourself. <laughs> Guy gets the message. My friends, when it's about us, the material is not see-through. You see only you. When it's glass, when there's nothing added, you see clearly. This is what it means that Moshe Rabbeinu, his prophecy was so pure because he saw Ba'aspaklaria Hameira. He saw through a clear lens. He could see all of God because there was no baggage and there was no interpretations. He was pure enough, so his face shone. I want to give you one example of a shining face. A short while ago, Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky, unfortunately, uh, he had a knock at his door, and there was a couple that came, they made an appointment, they were having problems in Shalom Bayit. They were fighting with one another at home. The rabbi welcomes them in. He says, um, please, uh, if you could wait right here. He says, they, the guy says, sure. He says, um, I know you have to talk to me, you want to talk to me about you know, getting things back on track. He says, but please, he says, would you mind, instead of having the meeting here in my house, I need to go visit a patient in the hospital. Would you mind driving me to the hospital? And we'll talk on the way. Is that okay? Guy says, sure, no problem. Rabbi takes his coat. They go back to the car. The guy says, he starts talking. On the whole way to the hospital, he's telling him, his wife is this, his wife is that, his wife is this, his wife is that. I told her this, I told her that. She wants this, she wants that, I want this. Back and forth, the whole thing. They get to the hospital. The rabbi says, listen, I'm sorry. I need to go up to speak to the patient now. I'll be back. Uh, I'll be back shortly. You can wait here. If you wait in my house, whatever you'd like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for the delay. It's no problem. Got to go to the hospital. Got to go to the hospital. Goes upstairs, comes back down, short while later, gets back in the car, and he says, I'm so sorry for asking you to come have the meeting in the car, drive me to the hospital. I'm so sorry. He says, but they called me to come to the hospital to say goodbye to my wife. My wife just passed away. I came to the hospital to give her, to say goodbye, to make peace. To, say, to make my peace with it, to do everything I needed to do. And the man now feels so guilty. He says, my mitzvah of shalom bayit has just ended, so let's work on yours. And he launches right back into the conversation with this man. You understand, he didn't tell him that the patient in the hospital that was dying was his own, was Rav Shmuel Kamenetsky's wife, who passed away just a short while ago. That's a, an example of karan or, where a person is just full of the light of Borei Olam, the selflessness that is usually reserved for the divine. My friends, but this is not the realm only of a gadol. It's also possible for you and for me. When someone's asking you for your time and you're really preoccupied with your own thing, and you want to tell him, look, I'm so sorry, I, got, I don't have the time for this now. I don't have the headspace. But you conquer that. And you listen. And you try and help. When someone comes to you for a business deal, three seconds into the conversation, you realize, Hadad selling, you know, herring 
and, and, and you're, you're, you know, you're going whale shooting, like different worlds. You don't tell him, I'm so sorry, I'm not interested. You listen to him, you say, look, I don't know if this is uh, exactly my line of work, but let me see who I could think of to try and help you out. That's an example of Karan Or. You don't cut people off, cut people out. You think about what things might feel like from their perspective. When you're angry at someone, and you have good right to be, when you should not, you do not need to forgive them. They're at fault. And you know what? They didn't say sorry. They didn't come forward. They didn't apologize. Why should I? I'm going to, you know what? I'm not a doormat. Thank you very much. You're right. You're not a doormat. You don't have to. But where we don't have to and do so anyway is where our divine soul begins and our animalistic body ends. My friends, we too can have a piece of this light in our life. La Yehudim hayita ora v'simcha v'sason v'ikar. Look for moments to shine. They will present themselves. You will be glad that you did. Baruch Adonai Le'olam.